Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Hope you've had a great weekend. It's been a lot cooler this weekend, so that, that, has, been, that has been really, really nice. And of course, um, school begins tomorrow, right? Um, some of you, I know a couple of you started on Monday of last week because you go to one of those schools, you know, that yeah, kills your summer, but nonetheless... Um, I'm just joking, just kidding about that. But nonetheless, um, you know, our kids are back in school, and uh, we have a new high school just five miles down the road here, um, which is a nice little facility down the road. And then, of course, we partner with North Davy Middle and also Pinebrook Elementary. And so if you'll keep all three of those in your prayers uh, this week, as well as the other schools that we have children in, that would be great. We live in kind of a weird world, and so safety... Uh, praying for the kids for safety each morning is probably a great thing to pray for and safety and protection for our kids. So uh, with that said, let's just have a moment where we do that and then uh, we, will, we will jump right into the, right into the sermon. Our, our Heavenly Father, we thank you um, because of who you are and you're sovereign and powerful and you are a God of grace and mercy and uh, we praise you for that. We're, we're thankful that you love us. Um, we want to say this morning that we also love you, and our heart's desire is to glorify your name and learn more about you through your words. So we pray, first of all, that you will, by the power of your spirit, enable us to do that this morning. Uh, next, Father, we, we just want to pray for all the kids that are going back to school, that, um, that they will have a great year, that you'll bless their year. I pray, Father, that when temptation comes their way, that they'll run from it, and be a light um, in a dark world. I pray, Father, for their teachers, that you will give them clarity of thought as they teach, that um, their teaching will be very captivating, and that our, student, our students here, our children, will learn uh, what they need to learn. And uh, I also pray for protection. Um, we live in a very odd day um, where there's things that happen on school grounds, um, sometimes even, even taking the life of students. So we, we pray, Father, that you will protect us from that and uh, protect them, them as well. And so we commit them into your hands, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And All right, last words is the title of the sermon this morning. And if, if you had a group of people that you knew you would never see again, or it would be maybe rare that you would see them again, what, what words would you say to them? And I'm not speaking of death. I'm speaking of just in life in general. If you knew right now that your job was going to take you somewhere else and you could address this congregation for one last time, uh, what would you say to this congregation? What, what would you let them know if, if you were going to have to go to another state and you knew that you would, it'd be a while before you'd see any of us and you might not even see any of us again at all, what would be your last words? I think when you start um, thinking along these lines, it, some things come into focus, things that, that are important. And some things that you think is, are important kind of get shelved or put on the back burner. And the things that are really important is what you would take your time to say. Let's say we only gave you five minutes to address, to address the uh, congregation. That five minutes would have to be the most valuable things that you could pass on to us as a congregation. And you would think that through. And once you, you start with that grid, many things that you think is important right now 
are not as important as you thought they were. And the stuff that is really important that we should be focused on kind of rises to the top. And so this morning in our passage, that is precisely what has happened. The Apostle Paul is leaving, and he'll never see these people again. The reason he knows that is because the Holy Spirit has told him when he goes to Jerusalem, um, some bad things are going to happen, and he knows from that experience he'll wind up in Rome, and his hope is to one day wind up in Spain because his mission in life was to get the gospel out to the entire world. And so that was his next, his what I like to call the fourth missionary journey. I don't think anybody else calls that, but that's what I think it is. He goes all the way up to uh, Rome. He stays there a while, and then we really don't know if he makes it to Spain or not. Some of us think he makes it. Some of us don't think he makes it, but it's just not in the Bible. So one day you can ask Paul when you get to heaven if he ever made it to Spain. I don't know if he ever spoke Spanish. I don't even know if he knew the language. But nonetheless, we don't know that. But he's about to leave these people, back to what we're talking about. He's about to leave these people, and he wants to say something to them as he leaves, and these are his last words. So take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Um, Greg, I need some of me in this monitor, and I'm going to be hoarse by the time I get done today. I know you can hear me, but up here I can't hear myself, and I at least want one person to listen to this message, so we're going we're gonna to go in that, that direction anyway. So nonetheless... So Acts chapter 20, um, and we'll begin reading with verse 17. So here we go. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. I'll pause there a moment. The elders of the church of Ephesus. Um, Elders is plural. That means there were many of them. Elders are people that feel the call of God to shepherd his people is basically it. Um, We often call them pastors. Um, I believe that elders not only have full-time vocational work like I do, but also they're lay elders as well. People that feel like they need to be in, in the world working for a company, but at the same time they feel the call to shepherd God's people. And so you have two different types of elders. You have one that is called into full-time ministry, and then you have the other that feels called to shepherd a church and help out and help, help the elder group in a church lead uh, and guide and direct a particular, a particular church. We at this church, we have elders, deacons, and church members. That, that is really all we have. That is the structure. Uh, in, in the Bible, the way Jesus has this thing set up, he only gives those three groups. It is, it is elders who shepherd, guide, and lead, and chart vision. It is deacons who help with ministry-type stuff, like widows, um, I almost said elders, widows, orphans, and, and the like, and benevolence needs. That's what they are over. And then it's the church people that are doing the work of the ministry. That is the way that God has this thing set up. Um, what we often do in churches is we convolute the whole thing. We, we add this committee that's a standing committee forever, or we add this team, we add this team that stands forever. But that is really not the way that God has this thing designed. He has it designed very simply. It's elders, deacons, and the church, and that's it. Um, within that group is where you do ministry, is, is where you figure out where the church needs to go. 
Um, we are not saying, and the scriptures would not teach, that vision doesn't sometimes come from the, the church member. I mean, that, we're not saying that because everybody is a, a temple and the Holy Spirit speaks to you as well. But what we are saying is there is a definite structure in the church, and it's elders, deacons, and church members, and all together they provide an accountability that's unmatched in the world. Um, I am the head elder, the head pastor, as you know, but I am accountable to the other elders in this congregation. For instance, I let Chad and I let Greg know any time I'm going to miss work. So I might, I'm, I'm kind of overly with this because Greg tells me that I really don't need to tell him all this stuff. But if I take a break for an hour during the day, I send them a little text to say, uh, I got to go to school real quick because Quinn, whatever. Not that he did anything bad or is in the principal's office, but sometimes we forget things that are important like lunch. And so, so I deliver lunch or I do stuff like that or have to pick them up when they're sick or something. So they know where I'm at all during the day. Now, I'll tell you this. On Friday, I don't let them know where I'm at. That's my day off, and that's my day. You know what I mean? I'm not doing anything bad. You could come with me anytime you wanted to come, you know, and hang around me. I'm not doing anything bad, but that's my day. But anytime I feel like I need to be working, I'm accountable to them, and they hold me accountable for that. So you, you have this accountability. Elders are accountable to them as a group. Deacons hold the elders accountable, and the church body holds the elders and the deacons accountable. It's just a great way to work a church. It is almost like Jesus knew what he was doing when he set this thing up. And for me, elders, deacons, and the church is simple and easy to understand, right? When you start throwing in committees and teams and all this stuff and you have to think through, okay, have I, have I contacted this one and this one and this one before I do this? Man, it becomes just so convoluted and it slugs the church down and the church can't move. But when you do it the way that God created it, it really moves smoothly and you can turn a church on a dime because it's an organism, and it can respond to the ebb and flow of the Spirit of God. And it's an amazing thing. It's no other organization like that in the world that, that's set up like the church is. And it's absolutely, absolutely incredible. I can have those lights. I'm a little white, so I like, I like the suntan in the morning, so I'm good, I'm good with that light. So, but thank you, Greg. That was, that was right, right on, on task. So, elders. So he calls these called men of God... Um, to come and see him. And in verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, 
I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pray, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That particular word overseer there is actually means to rule, to shepherd, to, to guide. So that overseer is making sure everything is in line with what Jesus Christ wants his church to be. That's what that, that word actually means. So to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. By the way, sanctified, just pause one moment, is a position. It is not something we progress into. Um, a, a lot of times in churches you hear people, the, the road of sanctification, there isn't a road of sanctification. That is a different Greek word. It's called metamorphosis, which is transformation into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, past, are already sanctified because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You have already been set apart by Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. You are determined wholly through the Father's eyes because he sees you through his blood. There is nothing that you can progress to at that particular point. You are already sanctified. Now, metamorphosis is a total different thing. It's called transformation. Yeah, we're transforming into the image of Christ, but that is not to be confused with sanctification. So, next, I covered no one silver, I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give to receive. So you have just heard what Paul values you have heard what he thinks is important in his final address to these people, these Ephesian elders. So let's, let's start with kind of unpacking this a little bit. Look at verse 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Check this out. But I do not count my life any value. Paul is saying, I have thought about this, but my life is of no value. I know I'm, he's basically saying, I'm, knowing, I'm speaking to a, a lot of people that love me and value my ministry, but to me, I know I'm going and I know there's some bad things that are awaiting me in Jerusalem, but my life is not valuable. There is something else that is more valuable than me. Let's pause here a moment. There is a lot of people that think that themselves are a lot more valuable than themselves should ought to think themselves should be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? They think they're all important and all that, the bag of barbecue potato chips, and the fact of the matter is they don't have any barbecue of those chips. 
they're not more important than anybody else in the room. Right? Paul is saying this, I am not that important. Now, I will submit to you today that the majority of the New Testament is written about the Apostle Paul. And we could argue about that a little bit because you could say, well, his letters aren't really about him. Okay, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. This is a guy that would be in our list at least number one or two in the New Testament, depending on where you put Jesus, and Jesus always has a number one spot, but then after that, number one starts. You know what I mean? I mean, it's that sort of deal. So, so here, here is a guy that is saying, I'm of no value. Do you wake up, ever wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm of no value at all in the mirror? That's probably not the way you start your day. This is how I know that. We put value in ourselves because, you know, we get up in the morning, and not all of us, but a certain percentage of us, put on makeup and eyeliner and straighten our hair and make sure everything's correct. And then we look at our family to make sure that they're all, you know, clothed right. My wife just this morning said to me, um, Philip, um, I noticed you were shaving, walking around the house. I said, yeah, I, I do that every day. Would you like me to check to see if you missed any spots? Yeah, I miss spots when I shave. I do um, from time to time. So um, she didn't check me this morning because I just kind of looked at her like, what? She's never asked me permission to look to see if she, you know, she always tells me, um, right there up underneath your nose, you need to go get the shaver out, get that done, right? Because we value ourselves. This isn't exactly what the text is talking about because I think there's some, some merit in making sure you don't look like you're going to Walmart when you leave home to go to church. Okay? I think there's some merit to that. This is when you come to church and you think that you are the most important person there. It's when you come to church and you think that church cannot operate if I was not in that church, if I was not doing things in that church. It's when you and I decide that we are the most valuable commodity, commodity God has at Farmington Baptist Church. And the bottom line is this. If I was to leave today, God would replace me with somebody that is just as good or better than me. Hopefully. It would be one of those two categories right? Come on. I'm not leaving. These aren't my last words. But, but that, that, that would be what happened. This church should never revolve around a pastor, should never revolve around an elder system, should never revolve around any one deacon or any deacon board, should really never revolve around one church member or a group of church members. This church should revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ and where he wants it to go. The reason you and I look at ourselves as not the most valuable person in the room is because we are here today to do a vertical worship service to the God that saved our very souls. He is the most important person in this room. And if he is not here, there is an issue. If we are not focused on him and what he wants us to do, there is an issue. It is Jesus God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one that is the most important person in the room. And everybody else is on level ground. Come on. Everybody else is on level ground. When I compare my worth to Jesus Christ, I come up short. And when I look at you and compare your worth to Jesus Christ, 
you come up short too. It is not that I don't love you. It's not that you don't love me. It is just that Jesus is out of our league and we will never achieve that status. Right? And I'm kind of glad because the world's kind of weird. I'm glad there's somebody that is bigger than a human that is in control of all this. So verse 24 continues. Check this out. If only I may finish my course. This is what he finds valuable. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What does Paul value and why does he not value himself? Because he has a mission from God and that mission is to proclaim the gospel and get the gospel out to people. That is his mission and he is going to complete that race. Have you ever seen anybody that is really seriously training for a 5K, and I don't mean to devalue other 5Ks, that really means something, like you could win a medal doing it. Have you ever seen somebody train for those? No? Nobody's ever seen that? You have? You ever seen that? They, they are focused on that one goal. Everything else is put to the side. The way they eat, the way they rest, the, the people they train with, the people they go to, it, it is all through the grid of what is going to allow me to achieve the goal that I want to achieve. I want to win a medal in this 5K race, right? You and I should be the same way about our Christian walk. We should all be pressing toward the goal of the prize of the high calling of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And everything else should be pushed aside that prevents us from doing that. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, I don't value myself, I value what God has called me to do. I value the race, I value what I'm pressing toward. And that colors the way I look at life, the way I do everything I do, everything I write, everywhere I go, every step I take. What would happen if you and I begin to look at the call of God in Christ Jesus on our life, which on a basic level, is to do what's right according to the Bible and to get the gospel out to people, okay? Because we're a part of a kingdom of light and not a kingdom of darkness, okay? That, that's the basic for everybody, right? And then there's other callings, but we're not going to get into that, but that's the basic. What if you and I, this week, this afternoon, five minutes after the service, when we're about to post to Facebook, we ask the question, does this help get the gospel out? What I'm about to say now, there are some things you can put on there that's funny, but there are some other things that drive people away from the gospel because of what you post. What about Twitter? What about any other type of, of paraphernalia that you might be doing stuff with? What you're about to do, does it drive people toward the kingdom of light and toward Jesus? That's what you and I as a church are supposed to be doing. When we go out and we go to a restaurant and we get upset at the waitress because, you know, sometimes you have to get upset at the waitress. Come on, you have all been at the restaurant where the waitress, it's just, this really isn't a good fit for her. She should really be somewhere else, right? Come on, come on. There, there are people like that. You love them, but at the same time, you don't, you don't get upset. You don't yell at them. You don't 
treat them nice. In fact, I would, I would submit to you today, even when somebody doesn't give me, and this is recent, within the last, I'm not going to tell you how, how long a period of time, because then you know when I was really bad. But nonetheless, when somebody doesn't serve me really well now, I still give them a good tip. Still give them a good tip. Because I believe that God gives me blessings all the time that I don't deserve. And you look at that person and you give them the tip and that might be the very thing that makes their day, that encourages their day because you know nobody else in that restaurant's giving them a tip. Right? And here's the one person that actually cared enough to give them the appropriate amount of stuff and it, it will change their lives. We need to push people toward the kingdom of light and that needs to be the filter by which we see the world. What can I do today that pushes people toward the kingdom of light, not away from it. Verse 25 says this. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, see, that's where you're proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. We push people toward the kingdom. So once we start seeing the world through this filter, what happens to us? What happens to what we actually do? You see, Tracy, what we value, I'm skipping a slide, what we value determines what we do. What you value determines the way you live your life. I want you to look at verse 18 in this chapter. It says this, And when they came to them, came to him, sorry, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Let's break this down, how he lived. First of all, he lived before them with humility. Humility. Um, Humility is not necessarily being a rug that people wipes their feet on, but it is a perspective that you have about your life and who you are. A lot of people think that they're better than other people. A lot of people get upset at certain people in society and their positions, and they get very upset with them. And so they look down upon those people that have those particular jobs those particular classifications. Humility doesn't do that. Humility goes into um, the, the hospital and sees the janitor and acknowledges that they have value as much as the doctor does. If you didn't have people cleaning the hospital, the doctor couldn't exactly do what he needed to do because there would be what's called germs in the air. All right, look you are not going to go to the hospital where the bathrooms are not being cleaned. You are not going to go to a hospital that reeks of something. Come on. It's just not going to be allowed to happen. Everybody, humility is saying that everybody has their place in life and everybody has value. They're a part of a system of a team and everybody has value. Too many times you and I look down on 
other people or, or, or what they're doing or, or because we've had a problem with this particular person or position or whatever. And that is not humility. That is when pride gains value. The most dangerous time for me is when I get upset at someone and then I start condemning what they have done, right? And I feel righteous about it because I'm right. Are you with me? And pride comes up and pride takes over. And really, that is the moment that I become a jerk. And I would dare say that's the moment that everybody in this room comes a jerk. When someone does something bad to you, you get upset at them, and then you complain, you complain, you complain, you disrespect them, and then, well, they deserve it because, you know, I just don't, I just don't trust anybody anymore. That's, that's what happens. So humility, the lack of humility is what makes us go against authority. Look, anytime you're rebelling or talking against authority, not in the sense of, I don't think that is the right way to go, but in the sense of they're idiots and I don't like them in that sort of direction. Are you, are you following me? You can disagree with an authority figure, but you still have to follow that authority figure. The scripture is very clear that even if you don't like them, God has placed that particular authority figure in that position for that particular time. They might not be doing their job correctly, and that's an issue, but God has placed people into positions of leadership. And sometimes we like them and sometimes we don't. Put that aside. Anytime you and I decide to rebel against authority, it is the moment. It is the moment that we are no longer humble, but pride has entered into our hearts. The moment that we decide that we are going to affect and hinder and harm an authority figure is the moment that we are no longer humble, that pride has entered our heart. We have to deal with issues that we don't agree with, with authority figures, with humility. And let me tell you something. I've never seen a person, never, that has completely done this correctly. Why is that? Because you and I get ticked off at people. I'm looking at you because you're looking at me. Okay. I'm, I'm so glad you're on the front row this morning, Steve, because it just... No, it's not that at all. Sorry. <laughs> he had these eyes like he was just looking at me. Yeah, I didn't know what that meant. Sorry about that. Authority figure. It's when we, do, we, we, we have to make sure that we are humble when we're dealing with it. Because let me tell you, when you are against something, that is when pride comes out, and that's when you want your way, and that's when you want things done your way. But humility says this, I might not necessarily agree with that, and I am going to tell them that, but I am not going to harm that person when I'm having this disagreement. Are you following me? You disagree with the intent not to harm. Let me tell you something. That is very difficult when you're in an argument. Come on, church. That is very difficult. I'm looking at a group of people that are buried. That is very difficult when you're in an argument. To have humility to approach the issues without harm. 
our human flesh goes right into, if I harm them, them enough, I'll win the war. But every time we go down th- that direction, we all lose. It is approaching issues with humility. So what he's saying is, is even when people attack me in your city, and there was a big group of them in the last chapter, right? A big group of them shouting things and all that. Even when people in your community attacked me, you saw that I reacted in with humility, rather. You saw that I acted with humility because my goal was to get the gospel to them. Verse 19 says this, not only was it humility that was shown because of these values that he had, but he says this, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with tears. This means passionate caring. He cared about the people that he was teaching. In other words, Paul was not doing this to get built up himself. He was doing this to give what he had to others to better their lives, to help them follow Jesus. It was more about other people than it was about him. And so when people didn't get it, when people didn't get what he was saying, and when he was kicked out of the synagogue because there was a group of Jews that just would not cross over to the, to the scriptures, he is telling you here he still cared about those people, he still cried for those people, but he did move on to the people that had accepted it. Never once do you see in scripture where Paul says that he hates the people that rejected his message. You will never find it in scripture because he never did that. His goal was something different. So he had passionate caring and he invested in these people. Verse 19 also says this. Humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring you the anything that was profitable. In other words, he's saying that he was solid as a rock. And when the storms came and when he had to take out his little umbrella and endure the storm, and when the waters was raging around him, he did not shrink back from the truth. He stood firm. He stood firm with humility. He stood firm with tears. He stood firm through the storm until it was over. That is what he did. Steady. The reason an individual can stand through a storm like that is because of their values. And when when you value the advancement of the kingdom of God, when you value the advancement of the gospel, and the world that is coming that needs to change, that that is going to change the world, when you value what Jesus wants you to value, you can stand in any storm this life throws at you. You can. You might feel like you're on a rock with an umbrella, but you can still stand there. You might feel like everything's going to pot, but what you understand is everything has to go to pot so Jesus can come in and correct it all. When you live with the lens of the kingdom of light, it changes the way that you look at this world and you really realize that you're only here for a temporary amount of time, but the kingdom that's coming, you're there for the rest of your existence changes everything and you can weather any storm that the world or the people throw your way all right look at verse 29 
Two more things. We'll wrap it up. 29 says this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. He is telling these people right here in verse 28 to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock because when I leave, the first thing that's going to happen is wolves are going to attack. This is interesting. Wolves, in this passage of Scripture, is talking about people or things that are outside the church that want to attack the members of the church, that want to go after the people, the flock that's inside the church. And what he's telling the elders is, is when I leave, you need to understand that the wolves that have been at bay are going to try to attack, and you need to be aware, and you need to mark them, and you need to protect the flock from those wolves. But then he goes one step closer to within the church body to something that really makes everybody uncomfortable to talk about, to even acknowledge. Because it's cool when you can say, well, you know, this group just wants to get rid of all the churches in America and we're against them. I mean, it's easy for us to do that, right? But then he says this, and from among your own selves, from among what? Your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. That means that from within the church, sometimes Christians get twisted. They get twisted. I have categorized those twisted people into three categories because I was trained to preach. That's a, yeah, that was not a good joke. Okay. <laughs> Group of pastors, that would have really worked, but not, yeah, not here. Not here. Yeah. Three categories. One, one is innocently twisted. There are people in churches that sometimes get innocently twisted. The way this happens is they see a, a, a spiritual leader in the church that is very twisted, and they decide to follow that spiritual leader because they trust them. And so they follow that guy, they follow that gal, they follow whoever it is, and so their mind becomes twisted because they're listening to them more than they are the Word of God or the shepherd or whatever, whoever they need to, or even Jesus. Are you with me on that? Some people are just innocent. Um, I'm not saying that their actions aren't sinful, but I'm saying they get twisted because they trust somebody, and there's something about trust. Second, twisted. Sometimes people in churches just stand for the wrong things, and they get twisted. So in, instead of standing for the mission that Jesus has given the church, people start standing for other things and other items that are less significant. And if we start thinking in terms of the kingdom of light and the expansion of the kingdom and the growth of the church and Jesus Christ saving souls, and that's how he's going to change the world in the end anyway, there's a lot of stuff that people stand for that just, just are ridiculous. Colors of carpet, what's on the walls in the church, what this thing does. I mean, it's, it just becomes very, very ridiculous in the light of eternity. 
Are, are you following me? And so, and so people, people just get kind of kind of twisted. Oh, they changed that this Sunday. Well, okay. Oh, okay. There's so many things people get upset over that just are ridiculous things. Ridiculous things. And they become twisted. The, the, the problem here is people don't think they're twisted when they become upset over these things. Um, I, um, I have this problem sometimes at my house, right? I'm not going to give you a church example because that would be, you know, too, too open, right? Um, I, I'm joking about that. I would, I would give you one, but I couldn't think of one this week. But there, it's sometimes at my house, like with my kids and stuff, I start pushing stuff that I think is really important. At the end of the day, it's not really that important. You know what I mean? For instance, she doesn't know this, but that's okay. Um, and I ask forgiveness for this. But this morning, we, we've had a standing rule for a very long per- period of time that you can't play video games on Sunday morning. You, you just can't have your iPad out. You can't play video games on Sunday morning. It just, just for a focus thing. This morning, I was, in, I was in the kitchen, and one of my kids... Um, one of my kids had their video game out and their, their iPad out and it was laying there on, on, the, uh, on the table. And I almost said something until God reminded me of this sermon. At the end of the day, is it worth making someone not understand why they can't play it and going through that whole battle before you get to church? Is it really worth that? Or do you just let it go? Let them finish their breakfast with their little video game, and then they'll go make up their beds and get ready for church, and then we'll go out the door. Maybe, maybe playing the video game really isn't that big of a, a deal. Are, are you following me? Maybe the goal and the direction of getting to church and having some semblance of peace on the way to church is really what you should strive for. Why? Because Satan tries to get you to argue before you go to church. He wants you to struggle with your children. He wants you to struggle with your wife. He wants you to struggle before you get to church. Why can you get your kids to school and dress for school and it's a breeze, but when you try to get here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, you can't seem to get those kids out the door? Satan! It is a resistance to get, and, and sometimes we create that environment. Sometimes we ourselves put so much value in stuff that is so insignificant that it detours us, it distracts us from the goal of what Christ has us here for in the first place, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the expansion of his mission to save the world. Are you with me, church? In history, my personal history, there used to be a group of people that liked a particular version of the Bible. And they would die for that version of the Bible, making sure that it was in their church and only spoken from their church. That is a misdirection, ladies and gentlemen. It is a misdirection. It has nothing to do with eternity. 
don't know if you know this or not, not only does language progress through time, but one particular version of the Bible isn't something that God has ordained. Now, is the Bible true in every single word that it has in there? Yes. Do we believe that it's holy and inspired? Yes, we do. But God never told us to stick to one translation of the Bible, or he would have kept the originals intact. Are you with me? So, so we don't get caught up in this stuff that doesn't matter and that unsaved people just don't really understand. We put that aside because we're looking at life through the grid of the calling of God and we're pressing toward that to build his church, his kingdom, and get people there. Are, are you following me? And at the end of the day, that is more important than any other type of minute little bitty issue. Um, so, twisted, just standing for the wrong things. And then evil twisted. There's some, there's some wolves that dress up in sheep's clothing that are just there to mess up the church. I mean, they come in. So, evil twisted. All right? Um, I, was, I was building, not all by myself, because God help us if I was doing it all by myself. But I was, I was helping some people build the play set that we're doing right outside here the other day. Right? I was doing this on Saturday. Carl was there. He was my partner. Carl does something that I hardly ever do until I get into trouble when I'm building something. He had the directions in his hand. Me, I open up a box. I look at it and said, all right, I'm going to figure out how to do this. All right, that screw looks like it goes there. These pieces of wood go together. You know, it's all good. Carl, however, he takes that, that description and he goes over to the woods and he makes sure every single little piece matches before he takes it back over there to put it all together it really slows down the process and for somebody like me um that would like to get it done a little quicker it really slows it down but at least we know that the kids here at church will will be fine now one of us is rebellious against the person that wrote the directions The person that wrote the directions, and we had a conversation about this, right? I said, somebody spent time, remember that? Somebody spent time writing all this down. That took a lot of time, right? Carl respected the person that wrote the directions. He submitted to that person that wrote the directions. He didn't have an ill word to say about the person that wrote the directions. I didn't either, but in my actions, I just, I just wanted to do it and get it done, right? So I was the rebellious one. Here's where I'm going with that. The God that created you and me has put together a book called the Bible that gives us directions for this life and a mission. Anytime we decide to go out on our own and do it our own way, and we become the bag of barbecue potato chips and we're all that, is the moment that we step outside of God's directions for our life and we start doing things our own way and it creates a disaster. It creates a Christianity for ourselves that is unsafe. It creates, it creates a spiritual journey that is unsafe, that we are going to stumble over ourselves and we're going to fall and sometimes not even know it. But the Christians that actually take the word of God and read it and accept its mission, are you with me? And do the mission that God has given us are the Christians where all the little stuff that just doesn't matter, just kind of fades away because we are on a journey to a better place and we want to take as many people with us 
as we possibly can. Amen? If you had last words today, if I had last words today, and I only had five minutes, I would tell this church to go out this week, reach people for Christ, and take as many people with you to the kingdom of heaven as you possibly can. That is our mission and our job that is infused with the Holy Spirit for us to do. Let's pray.